0: Welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Well, you are joining us in a series on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, a prophet for changing times, is the title of the series and I think we're on week five this week, so you, I'm not doing a recap. Feel free if you've got a spare four hours in your day to recap over the, the last uh, number of messages. Um, this week, um, you'll be, maybe some of you will be relieved. You know We're pivoting a wee bit more towards the hope end of the scale. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And there was a lot of doom and gloom. There was, it was one of the biggest... Um, down times, if you like, in the people of God in the Old Testament. but this week in Jeremiah 29, we, we pivot towards hope. And we also pivot a bit more towards what you might call a missional impact, a sense of actually making a difference in the world, as, as people call by God. So that's where you find us just this week. This week, the message is called, "How to Live Well in Spiritual Babylon." Now, the Jeremiah text is about a physical um, exile in a physical place called Babylon. It speaks of a couple of main movements when the Babylonians rose up. Um, This was before this time of writing to the exile. This first exile was before the fall of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. But a group of uh, the elites, some of the artisan scholars, Um, If you remember Daniel in your Old Testament Bible, these sorts of people, they were taken into exile. They were taken out of their home country and dragged and taken against their will into a foreign land to serve under King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So theirs was a a physical as well as a a spiritual exile and a spiritual Babylon. The text from 1 Peter is draws on that tradition of that theme and the people of God of the exile and of Babylon. But it does so in a very particular way, in in the sense, as I said, it's a a spiritual exile and a spiritual Babylon. That is the exile, reality or experience, comes about because of their baptism into Jesus. Because of their new loyalty to Jesus, they find themselves in some way at odds with the world, in some way in tension to the world. Just on that note of baptism, by the way, when we do that act of, of putting our faith in Jesus, in this public demonstration, we've got a baptismal tank right under that stage, and we're doing a baptismal service on the 31st of October, and. Sign up, sign up. If you want to get baptized, send me an email, stephen at apbc.net. Uh, come and speak to me afterwards. There are people going to be baptized. It's a chance where we get to do that. But it's a moment where we say, look, ultimately my loyalty and my faith is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And therefore, when people do that, they, f- they find themselves uh, in some ways in their own country, perhaps, uh, at tension in the world, at tension with uh, values, perhaps, and so, um, so Peter picks up on that. Hence, why he finishes his letter, First Peter, um, addressing him as saying, "She who is in Babylon greets you," which was to say, the church in Rome, which was an indication. This this theme of empire and and Babylon. It kind of these empires they come and go. They they, they kind of they're a repetitive cycle of, of things. And, and Rome, in a sense, is depicted as the par where Christians. Where at intention with, and therefore it calls the believers' minds to be alert to be alert to the realities, and so first Peter addresses the exiles in in that context so there are two parts I think indicated in the text that you 've heard read about life in Babylon, which I think can become our invitation this morning, but I also hoped in order to live well, but I also hope they are already a part of our vision and what we do. And these verses have been important for just shaping the vision of the church. The two parts in in response to this, this quest for how do we live well in spiritual Babylon? And some of you will be able to maybe even answer that from the perspective of both the physical displacement as well as the spiritual, depending on your experience. How do we live well? Well, the first thing Yahweh says, the first thing, not the second, not the third, not the last, the very first thing Yahweh says to these exiles is this. He calls them to be faithfully present to Babylon. Shock, horror. Faithfully present to the enemy. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too so that they too have sons and daughters. Probably need to throw in a wee bit of a caveat about the gift of singleness that the New Testament emphasizes, and also a A caveat maybe about the patriarchy of the day, about, you know, it does sound a wee bit like daughters in particular are property just to be given away. But that aside, he also says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. To which I have carried you. I thought it was Nebuchadnezzar. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. They are called to be faithfully present. I'd love to do a, a, just a, a quick survey. I'm not going to, but thinking new students, I wonder how many, when you're, if it is your parents or your, whoever your main care is in your life, drops you off in Glasgow. I wondered if one of the final words to them was like, go get stuck in, get right stuck into Glasgow. It might have been, and it'd be interesting to hear that. Or more often than not, it, I can think of the parental voice of caution. <laughs> is to just go easy, phone home every day, every day phone home and and words like that. You can tell me afterwards how it was for you. But these instructions were words of rootedness in the sense of place. And the surprise uh, would have been felt for the exiles. You mean 70 years? 70 years in, in, in this place? They were hoping for a quick exit, that you know, maybe this, path, this would come and pass by the end of the year, the end of a couple of years. We thought the word would be one of escape, removal from the grime of this city, from this idolatrous nation that has taken us captive and doesn't allow us to be near the temple of the Lord. And you want us to, to dwell in this place? The shalom, which is a word that's translated as peace, is, is interest. And the shalom of the city is what is to be pursued. This word holds in a kind of unity that other, others just try and parse out. It kind of holds things together in a unity that just gets segmented and fractured. And it speaks of a peace which is, of course, it was a greeting, um, Jewish people would, would greet that, but it's way more than a greeting. It was way more than just, you know, a peace of mind or a, an inner peace. It's a word, as many of you know, about wholeness or often well being is another word we could use for it. And here it includes civic duties and care for the life of a city. It brings into focus aspects of life that, quite frankly, I think we often leave out sometimes there's awkward divisions between sacred and secular sacred being these are the things that God really cares about and the secular things that these are not so important to God and we might not have a list but there's probably a mental way we divide up the world but here the raising of children is sacred the role of building and settling can be sacred and the seeking of justice in the city can be sacred to God and core to, to, the, to the very concept of what shalom means well-being, wholeness. Even if there is a slight note of self-interest in this Old Testament text. And first Peter said, live such good lives among the pagans, which is not the very nice way to talk about well, but anyway, we have to get among it. So we're going to be among it from Peter and to live well in it. That's what we are to do. To thrive in Babylon means to have a life shaped by God. To thrive in spiritual Babylon is a life that is present to the city and a life that is faithfully present in the city. When we consider our lives and living well in Babylon, Is there not sometimes, I think, the temptation to get really narrow in our understanding of what living well actually means? There's a, maybe I could get this slide just now. I got this in a book um, by a guy called Ross Hastings, which I really liked. Um, He shows a a triquetra, um, kind of like a Venn diagram, of of things I think are actually really important for disciples of Jesus to keep together. Um, it's really easy for us to think just one aspect of this is important. It's really important that we feel conviction to, to speak good news, to be good news, to go and make disciples, to evangelize, to pray, to worship. These things are really important. The Great Commission leads us in that. Uh, the great commandment to love the Lord with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves is a huge thing that we need to think in our vision to become more like Jesus, But often we'll find these things all separated. And what I like about this diagram is is an attempt to show it together. The cultural mandate speaks of all human beings' responsibility, but all the more, I would say, for those who know Jesus and are remade in his image, to take on our responsibility to steward, to serve creation, to work, to raise family, um, and to play our part in society. And so... I've been trying to figure out a way and I haven't figured out how to hold this before us as, as growth. Growth isn't a narrow thing. Growth is a rounded thing if we're going to become all that Jesus wants us to be. And in some ways, this triquetra is a way that I think our scorecard doesn't need to get smaller and take things off. No, I think our, our scorecard just needs to get a bit bigger on what we mean by growth and what it means for us to play our part and become all that Jesus wants us to be. Let me rewrite some of Jeremiah for you little hungover creatures called students. (laughs) Rent houses. Spend quality time with people on your course. Open your homes and lives to each other in honesty and authenticity. Be open for sure to finding a life partner, but don't obsess over that. Love people. Care for the city you have come to. Don't just extract from it. Don't just take. Don't just try to convert without first loving or understanding. Don't fill your diary with weird Christian things. Don't just pass these years by. Act like you could be here for a very long time because some of you will. Of course, some of you won't. But where God carries you next, you will live with the same qualities you have learned here. Engage in prayer and unity with your church family who also care for this city. And this will be for your blessing and wholeness. Or to another ear, it might sound like this. Treasure your neighbors, your actual physical neighbors. Under God, they're not an accident, but a gift. God loves them and so must you. They will see God in you when you live well and live full. They'll see it in your children. They'll see it in your marriage. Be diligent and persistent in bringing up children. These aren't wasted hours. This is it. This is the life God has for you. The life God wants for you. Don't miss any opportunity. Drink good coffee, not bad coffee. Don't be anonymous in your street, give yourself to your street, show yourself to be a good ambassador on the sports field, in the workplace, take a risk and make time for being a good neighbor because as your street prospers, so will you and your family. Might Jeremiah also sound a bit like, I know Babylon is hard. The COVID conditions are so different. But this is time to build, to invest in church, to plant, and to become full of time for each other. Making prayer together again as something precious, eating together, hosting Christ around tables around the city, and making worship of the living God the centerpiece in this strange land that we find ourselves in. The first call to God's people then is to be faithfully present towards and in spiritual Babylon. And of course, living well in spiritual Babylon means not just being faithfully present, but also faithfully strange. Some of you don't need much help with the strange bit, but hopefully you'll hear me out on this. So three real quick clues that support the necessity for, for a Christian, I wasn't talking about you lot, by the way, um, the necessity for, for Christian distinction in the world, a strangeness that comes uh, from, from following Jesus. Um, so there's three clues. There's one in Jeremiah with the prophets. One, I'm gonna to point to the example of Daniel and, and three to the first Peter one. The Jeremiah tells us that we have to be alert in spiritual Babylon because um, he urges the exiles that, to be involved in discerning truth in Babylon. There were counter prophets and counter narratives. There were people saying, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. We'll be out here in no time. And Jeremiah and this was actually coming from within, among the ranks of the people of God, as well as from out with. And so in the culture to be faithfully present, they also had to be faithfully astute, and, and, and a tune between discerning where truth was and, and and what they can accept and what they cannot accept. There were false prophets who will let you down in the, the long run. Do not let the prophets among you deceive you. Falsehood in the culture being switched on. And that's why I point to my childhood hero of Daniel who grew up the Sunday school. And Daniel was the one, and remember his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were the ones who, were favored, but they, they learned quite quickly how to be useful basically in Babylon. And they went up the ranks because some things they said yes to and some things they said no to out of faithfulness to Yahweh. And they learned in, in physical Babylon, what we need to learn in spiritual Babylon is to discern truth. What's neutral, what's okay, what's not okay. And Daniel's a great example of that. But the first Peter um, chapter two, it, it talks about this abstaining and a sort of more defiant acts, if you like, of, of resistance. We, we need to be like on the front foot with this. This is not a, an accidental journey that we're going on, dear friends. I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father. Defiance is needed. A a resistance plan to become the person God wants you to be. Because there will be things in Babylon that over promise and under deliver. Things in Babylon that promise so much to you right now, but actually will lead you astray in the long run. Things that will turn you into a backslider and not a carrier of hope. I love how Andy Crouch um, speaks of idolatry. You tend to think of idols as just those little golden statues from a day gone by, but Andy Crouch says this, at first they give, speaking of idolatry, at first they give you everything and ask for nothing, and by the end they ask for everything and give you nothing. It's a word of it's a sober word. But I also want to give a caution about talking about culture because, because we're a part of it, just so you know. We're not in a holy huddle here this morning immune to Glaswegian culture. And it's not just a big bad world out there. There's a whole bunch of people, everybody made in God's image. And yes, we get our desires disordered and it's that disorder that needs resisted. But I think there's too much talk, particularly from people like me, pastors who love to pedal the big bad world, and it, and it creates a sort of siege mentality, us v. them, this horrible world out there. And, and I think this actually leads to more anger and cultural wars. And we've got enough people peddling the us v. them relationship with culture. I don't want to paint that picture in the slightest. I want to talk about God working on us forming us, not us accusing others of not living up to some sort of usually highly selective view of what we think is right and wrong. But 1 Peter, as an epistle, goes after a a gentle Christian response in the world that becomes winsome. And let's get the emphasis on the culture war right. We are the project. Logs out of our own eyes first... (laughs) And then we are able to represent Christ well in this world. So let me just, I just feel compelled to give that slight aside about, don't here paint big bad picture of the world out there. Though resistance in Babylon is necessary, intentional resistance if we think we're going to survive. If we don't think we have a plan, we are deceiving ourselves. It's not true. We already have a plan, if a plan involves habits, information, practices, things that we do on repeat, on look, people we listen to, we are creatures of imitation. That's just what human beings are. We are already being discipled. It's just whether or not it's a good plan and it's just whether or not we're being discipled in the way of Jesus. If the habits, the endless scrolling, the, if these things are helping us become like Jesus, great. But be not deceived, we all have plans. We all have habits, things that we do, practices that are forming us to be the people. And it's a question of, is it a good plan? Is it helping us be faithfully strange? Or, like often, do we need a refresh on our way of life if we're going to live distinctly, if we're going to be faithfully strange? I sent a podcast and it was... You just talking about the, this idea of a rule of life, and drawn on the Latin origin of the of of the word to to rule. It can tend to um, when you think of rules, it doesn't exactly make you think, yeah, ye ha, let's go and have some fun with rules. But it, but you was just taking it back to that root of it, it's about guiding, directing in a straight line. And one of the contributors was talking about it in terms of relating it to like a structure that helps you grow in the straight line, like a trellis. The point of the structure of a trellis is so that things can grow on it and can grow uh, fruitfully and healthily in the right way that creates good growth. And, and, and this is what we need in our lives. It practices a, a way of life, a rule of life, structure things that we do together. And there's loads of different names, spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits, or you could, you could list loads of different ways it sounds. But these things, they're not to kill life. They're to allow things to grow, allow things to grow in a healthy direction, a structure that allows that. I, I want that. I need that. And personally speaking, COVID times have totally uh, screwed up what worked for, for the, the years before and, and left with, uh, let, let, Right. let's get the trellis out again and let's figure this out to remain faithfully strange. We need a vision and we need a game plan. We're being formed whether we realize it or not. To resist apathy, the practice of communal worship and Sabbath is very strange. And I say, keep it strange. To resist perfectionism, the practice of giving and receiving the bread and wine is strange. And I say, keep it strange. To resist digital Babylon, if you follow me, phones, rules of screens are needed for the adults, not just for the kids lest we be formed in ways that Silicon Valley wants us. To resist shallowness, solitude and contemplative practices are needed. To resist materialism, practices of sacrificial giving are normal in spiritual Babylon. To resist nihilism, practices of study and reflection are embraced. And Netflix and TikTok curtailed a little bit in order to make sure we're going after meaning and finding meaning. To resist anxiety, time in the non-anxious presence of our Father is needed. To resist despair, practices of celebration are needed, both in small ways in our daily life, but also in the gift of the Christian calendar, to celebrate at their appropriate times together. And of course, to resist guilt and shame, practices of confession are needed. Faithfully strange, the kingdom of God comes not by force, not by becoming bedfellows with the power of Babylon and playing their game. The times of renewal come through you exiles. The you here is plural. In Northern Ireland, you'd say yous. <laughs> yous are the agents. The, the, you're the carriers of hope. You, church, are God's agent of hope in this strange world if we will learn afresh to become faithfully present and remain faithfully strange in spiritual Babylon. And the pastoral tone carries two convictions that strike a realism on the one hand, a tone that people are to embrace their circumstances they find themselves in, But the tone also carries the conviction of a long-term impenetrable promise for hope that God will come through one day. And so it must be for us to find that tone. The Jeremiah 29 moment is about lifting our heads of those who feel like you could just capitulate to culture and slide down and never come back. It's a moment of realism where we go like, we don't get excited here to to try and convince ourselves we're living a life that actually is nothing like the life we're living. The Jeremiah moment is a hugely sobering moment to say, no, 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 this is the reality of where we're gonna live out this call and for us as Christians today in the way of Jesus. So it's a moment when people could have been tempted to withdraw and disengage. When the missionary God is saying, Get involved get rooted. And it takes us back to this familiar place where we've been already, where we find this strange assurance in hope that hinges ultimately on God's promise, not on us being able to figure out or get ourselves out of this mess or change ourselves. Jeremiah 29, 11 is precious. For I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper and not to harm to give you a hope and a future and in a way we find as we stand as people God in Jesus we say yeah we find a God who has found us who is for us but we also we don't have the answers in that text to the specifics of our worries for today we just have God's promises for tomorrow And this is the Jeremiah 29 moment. There's moments, worries of today that are there that will still be there when you go home. But there is a bright hope for tomorrow. Romans 8, 28. God is working for the good of those who love him in all things. Sometimes I think we misread that as everything's been ordained by God and this is all to help us become. And I think, no, 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 no. It's far too... Cheap actually, in the long run, it's saying that God is able in all things, He is always working for our good, no matter what's come our way. call it what he's allowed. But He is working for our good. He leaves us with things that we today are worries we can't figure out, but what we do know is the plans He has for us are good in Jesus, that He is working for our good right now. So it leaves us not having all the answers to the specifics, but with God's promises. And these promises, I think, become like an anchor or a shelter because our faithfulness comes under his and our action is dependent upon his action ultimately. And the pivot towards hope relies ultimately upon a conviction that one day God is going to do a new thing. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ that we're starting to make connections to. And we'll, in will the, in the, particularly in the next time we come to this series, as the one who brings the newness of life. When life has been crushed, when we don't know how things will be turned around. But for now, we just hang in the pivot towards being faithfully present, faithfully strange, under the covering of a God who promises newness of life. I cannot say for sure in five years or 10 years, Adelaide Place is going to be full of fruit and is going to be planting 100 bazillion churches. There's going to be a 100 new disciples. I, I, I would love some of that, even a bit of that to be true. I, I, we, we don't get to really say that. But what we do get to say that is under Jesus we rest in a kingdom that knows no end, that nothing can pluck us from the hand of God, that we rest in that. And Jeremiah introduces us to a God who, who ultimately wants to be found and reveals himself as the one who says, I will be found by you. So may we hear this today with a sense of realism, but also with the voice of comfort from Christ, who is a redeemer. And may we find assurance that he who began a good work in our lives will see it through to completion one day as we live faithfully present and faithfully strange to the one who is always faithful towards us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, sometimes newness of life seems to get squeezed out. Sometimes we wake up and we realize the thousands of decisions we are making every day that lead us actually in small ways away from your goodness and your best. But help us also see today and this week coming as thousands of opportunities to yield to you and to experience you, to be present in your work as the missionary God, to be faithfully present in the whole realm of things you have put under our care, to be faithful ambassadors in the workplace, to be faithful at home, to be faithful in our neighborhoods, God. Just as Jesus came in 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 the incarnation, may we once again treasure what you have given us, but also keep us strange, God. Keep us distinct for you as we depend on your grace. Have your way, we pray. Amen. Amen.